Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It's Sunday, February 20th. I'm Blaise Olson, and this is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Well, what a week we just had politically in Minnesota taking a day to reflect and pour that cup of coffee and get the newspaper this morning, you start to understand just the gravity of the situation, the stakes in this year's election. But Friday morning, we learned the sad news that Representative Jim Hagedorn passed away. And he fought hard. uh, And he had his dream job of being a congressman. There'll be a lot of speculation, and we'll have it tomorrow in Morning Take about setting up the analysis of the first district race from potential candidates, Julie Rosen, Jeremy Munson, Carla Nelson, and many others. It is going to be a crowded primary, and just know we will cover it on the Morning Take, we'll cover it in the newsletter, and we'll have it here on WCCO. Then you add to that redistricting and matchups and shapes and sizes and districts Uh, It's going to take a while to sort that out, but one thing we did learn is that Minnesota is going to be competitive, and that's what the courts decided. And then the sentencing of Kim Potter, the shooting of Dante Wright, the killing of Dante Wright. Two years she gets. The reaction from the family is emotional. The reaction from the rest of the state and the news events that follow. It's a lot of stuff. But we got to talk about it, and we got to think about it, and we got to process it. And what better thing to do on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee on The Good Neighbor? I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take. When we come back, Duana Witt. She's running for Hennepin County Sheriff as a black woman. She'll tell you why. Stay tuned. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. My first guest this Sunday morning is Dewana Witt. She is a major in the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office. She also earlier this week declared that she's a candidate for Hennepin County Sheriff. Uh, and obviously the sheriff's office has been under the spotlight uh, in being an open seat this coming year will get a lot of attention, probably more so than most sheriff's races. So I'm happy she's joined me here on Sunday Tech. Major, thanks for joining me. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Do you ever think you'd be running for political office when you went into law enforcement? Um, no, I did not. <laughs> uh, I did not um, expect this, but I guess I can say that I am truly blessed that I've had all the opportunity, training, many years of experience to to put me in the position to do an important an important job. So, talk a little bit about why you want to be sheriff and how the sheriff's office or the sheriff can impact people's lives on a daily basis and or, you know, obviously we're having conversations about crime right now that we haven't had in a number of years. What's the sheriff's role in fighting crime, helping people feel safe and the mood of the county? Well, I will say 22 years of experience working within a sheriff's office, um, not just at Hennepin County, but also Dakota County Sheriff's Office. So I have that experience of going through the ranks and being able to work with people at different levels, different communities. Um, The role of the sheriff's office is very important. Um, There's many facets to the sheriff's office regarding public safety, community um, engagement, um, proactive and and reactive teams. Um, I think with, with everything that I've endured, through my career uh, with the sheriff's office uh, and then with my lived experience as I came into this field in a non-conventional way, never thought I'd even be in law enforcement. Um, I would say that people don't always know everything that the sheriff's office has to offer. I think as a sheriff's office, it's our job always to make sure that we're doing everything we can to make sure that the communities, the various communities within the county know what our purpose is. Um, And, you know, and that's just not in the cities, like the higher populated areas, such as Minneapolis, but also out in the the suburban areas, because we service all the communities, large and small. Um, You know, I know with my career, and um, as I would like mentor people and talk to people Mm -hmm. about the sheriff's office, you know, uh, the two common answers you'll get when you ask people, especially young people, Um, what's the purpose of a sheriff's office? And they will tell you the jail and to serve papers. They have no idea of all the other actions that a sheriff's office takes. So it's constantly educating people as to everything that we have to offer. I think that is why I asked the question, because the jail serving paperwork, water patrol, the most visible things are the things that, you know, have the brand on it is the way in which people interact with Hennepin County Sheriff. You are a black woman. Race is part of the public safety conversation. Um, how do you view the, you know, public safety issues with, um, you know, black and brown Minnesotans in their relationship with law enforcement? 
Is there some commonality, some bridge? Is the divide as deep as some people may perceive it? Or is there an opportunity uh, in the office or from the sheriff's office to start to look at the future of policing differently? Well, we should have been looking at the future of policing a long time ago in the directions that it takes as as a Black woman and with uh, my experiences uh, growing up in Minneapolis, actually. Um, you know, I have different lenses that I bring to the table. Um, so when we hear the community asking for accountability, um, transparency, I, it's not just words to me. I understand it because I've been there and done that, you know, in my uh, during my career and um, talking with others, my peers and things like that. I've always tried to, to tell people about lenses that they don't have you know, about those experiences and why people, specifically the Black community, sees, uh, sees law enforcement, public safety, community uh, corrections, all of that in a different ways. It's a different experience that not all people have. Um, and then that's, that's what's important, though. That's why we should be having these conversations always. You know, we can't be stagnant and thinking like, okay, I have the answer right now. Well, you know what? The community is constantly changing. People are constantly changing. So we have to stop being reactive and start being proactive. And we do that on the basis of building trust. And and I want to talk about like building trust because it is truth. Some people never had trust. So it's actually creating trust and building trust. Um, it's interesting because some people don't understand uh, um what that means. How could you not trust law enforcement? How can you not trust a person who works, um, who wears this uniform and this badge? You know, um, that is, a, that, that's real for, for some people. And at the same time, some people are raised to respect the uniform, respect the badge, and they don't understand how people cannot. And we need to bring the bridge those together. And that's what I think, um, that's not what I think. That's what I know my purpose is, is I have all of these experiences, not just from being someone who uh, grew up in, in um, a community where law enforcement wasn't always respected or liked, but also somebody who has worked in law enforcement. So I have all this experience from both sides of the fence. And I do see myself as that bridge, uh, bridging the gap. Um, that's why one of the reasons it's not just with this candidacy. If you check my, my career, my history, I've always been a person who have been reaching out and connecting with various people in various communities. It's, we should always be trying to educate each other. My guest is Dewana Witt. She's a major at the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office. She's also a candidate for Hennepin County Sheriff. Major Witt, um, you said you came about to law enforcement in a different way. You never thought you'd be running for office. What is that life experience where you talk about the community you grew up in, the relationship with law enforcement, because I, I think, look, as a white guy, I think I can say this. I, I am one of those people who doesn't always understand the, you know, uh, where uh, there's a disrespect for an officer or a disrespect for the badge, as you say. Um, and I think it is one of those things that understanding the feelings um, that are evoked by law enforcement towards certain members of certain communities. And then Frankly, the uh, the emotion that comes on the other way when crime is rising and people are fearing, you know, I sense that feeling how people feel is going to be a major part of this election, not just for the sheriff's office, but in general. Right. And talk about talk about your life experience, where you came from, how you found law enforcement uh, and, and why this is a, a calling for you. 
Um, well, that goes back to childhood. And that's why we always need to be talking about juveniles, because that's we need to make sure that we we understand how important it is, how we look in young people's lives. For me, unfortunately, I can say that I did <laughs> I did have um, I had experience not as an individual, but um, just with my upbringing around people who didn't necessarily follow the law all the time, which meant the introduction to law enforcement in my life. As a child, I perceived, you know, law enforcement as being bad because I I seen bad things as a child in a child's eyes. You know, when you see loved ones being taken away and there's no follow-up, there's no understanding of what is going on as a child, those traumas, those kind of traumatizing experience for a child, um, it goes on for you. And and that's where you start the lack of trust. And again, we have to start with uh, this young generation. You know, that's one of the reasons why I think school resource officers are very important. We have to have the right people in those schools to continue to build on those relationships. But um, so my upbringing, again, um, you know, I, I, it was through my experiences that I did not trust because of what I saw. And then the, in the mind of a child, you know, what does that mean? Um, I, I got into this business by accident. I actually took a tour back in 1999 of the Hennepin County Jail. And there was uh, the detention deputy at that time who gave the tour. And she talked about how they needed women and specifically women of color in that field. And I, I completed that application voice and I thought there's no way that they are going to allow me to work here. Wow. But to me, that was different. Working in, working in the jail was different from being a law enforcement officer um, at that stage in my life. Yep. But I went through the process. I, I got hired. But it was there where I started having more interaction with law enforcement who weren't responding because of me or because of my family. But I actually had the conversations and the interactions and got to know people, you know, people behind their badges. And um, I'll be frank, there were some. Yep, absolutely. Not so nice. But there were a lot more that were great people. Um, And that's why I'm a big advocate for community policing. We can't just tell people that because I wear this uniform and I wear this badge that you have to give me respect. We have to be willing to earn it. Um, you know, and then let's talk about when things go bad. When things go bad, that's where we need that trust and respect because it's there where people know, like, you know what? I know that person. I know Deputy. Yep. I know what she stands for. Something must have happened. But if we keep um, uh, taking the, the strength of building relationships lightly, Yep. We're not going to make progress with, with bridging that gap between um, mistrust between the community and, and this profession. My guest has been Duana Witt. She's a major at the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office. She's running for the Office of Sheriff. Major Witt, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. Thank you. When we come back, redistricting. It consumed a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of minds this week. Joe Mansky will join me to break it down next on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We're back on Sunday Take. My next guest, Joe Mansky. He may be retired as a top elections official in Minnesota, but that does not mean he isn't still watching this week with redistricting, the process, the results, what it means for the future of Minnesota elections and competitiveness. Joe Mansky joins me now. Joe, thanks for joining me. Yeah, good to be with you today. So you've watched these redistricting panels happen over the last 30 years, three decades. I've watched them. How does the plan that came out this previous week stack up against the others? Uh, and what are the takeaways for you from the new, the new districts and the new plan? You know, it, it's, it, it's actually this plan is actually pretty closely comparable to the ones that we got uh, from previous panels in 2002 and 2012. And, and the reason I say that is that all three of these plans are, are, are pretty balanced, that they provide both, both of our parties with a reasonable opportunity every two years uh, to, uh, to win an election and to go into the majority of either the House and the Senate. Uh, you know, just by way of our track record uh, over the last 20 years, uh, in the 10 House elections we've had, the Democrats have won five of them and the Republicans have won five. And during that same time period, we've had six Senate elections. The Democrats have won three. The Republicans have won three. And I think that's the kind of plan that we're looking at here, that over the next 10 years, I certainly expect that we are going to see party control change at least once in both the House and the Senate. And when you look at that, you look at the plan, the numbers, when you look at, is it, the is it the margin or the index of each district that makes you think that or is it the the where the districts are and how they get reshaped that makes you think uh, that we are likely to have very competitive elections now for the next decade yeah you know you make a very good point there it's it's actually more of the latter these days you know 20 years ago we were looking for how many individual districts were competitive and you know in the uh, in the house back in 2002 you know, we were in the low 50s as far as competitive districts. We probably have half that many now, but that it's, it's where these districts are located. And the competitive districts tend to be in the areas where, uh, where there has been a lot of shifting in the political allegiance between the parties 
And that's not new either. I mean, that's been going on really since the mid-90s. But the combination of those two things of having having selected uh, districts that are closely balanced between the parties and having them in the right areas uh, provides us with the opportunity for both parties, you know, from year to year to take control of either the House or Senate or both. My guest is Joe Manske. He's the retired uh, elections director for Ramsey County, but he watches redistricting and elections uh, very closely because um, once you've done it, as long as he has, you can't necessarily just go away and not pay attention. Um, one of the big political dynamics of the state, which bears out a little, well, no, it bears out a lot in the future, but it also bears out in these districts is this, I'll call it the rural urban divide and the new suburbs and the old suburbs uh, population obviously shifts. But one of the things that we've seen in Minnesota is demographic shifts within those suburbs. As Minnesota has become less white, uh, we have populations of color throughout the state. Does that also give this panel I don't know, more ability to make competitive districts, to think about more than just how many people are in a district? Yes, that is absolutely true. It's really an excellent point to make. And let me use just as an example, the first congressional district, which, you know, a lot of us are interested in because uh, over the years, and this is really going back to the 90s, it has been one of these districts that has been flipping back and forth. Well, you know, if you look at the maps, of District 1, you know, from 2002, 2012, 2022, geographically, you know, they don't look uh, a whole lot different, but they are different. And the reason is the thing that you just just mentioned. It's the characteristics of the population that is changing. And there are two things going on there. First of all, is demographic. And, uh, you know, if you were to visit uh, uh, Faribault or Austin or Albert Lee or Jackson or Worthington or Rochester, uh, you would see the demographic change that has happened uh, in those uh, in those communities over the last twenty years, and uh, and although uh, you know that's the that's the immigrant population, yeah. many of whom likely may not be citizens yet. But remember, this plan is going to be in effect through twenty thirty, and almost certainly. Uh, newly arrived immigrants uh, will become naturalized by the the last few elections to be conducted under this plan and will will likely have uh, an influence on who is winning and losing. And then, of course, the other factor is just the the change in the political coalitions. Uh, You know, Donald Trump is uh, uh, didn't cause all this. I think he has accelerated a lot of the things that have happened in recent years. And, and so if you look at communities like, for example, uh, you know, like Rochester, like Chanhassen, uh, Chaska, Shakopee, Egan, uh, uh, Woodbury, communities that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would have been reliably Republican are no longer that way. And so that those two factors, just the changing uh, the shifting political coalitions and the change in our uh, in our demographics uh, have had an impact and will have an impact throughout the 10 years of this plan. As we wrap up, you uh, talked about those elections, Donald Trump, um, 
as a former elections director, obviously election integrity is a, you know, a debate uh, that some people want to have as we go into 2022, Minnesota's high turnout, the systems here as somebody who's, you know, knows this stuff as well as anyone in the state. Is there any reason to question Minnesota's election integrity in 2022? Yeah, there isn't. And, 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 uh, and I'll just tell you this. When I started in elections uh, in 1984, which, which some days seems like a million years ago, <laughs> and then on other days seems like just yesterday. But uh, the, the difference between how we conducted elections then and how we do it now is is like day and night. Yeah. Uh, our elections today are far more accurate. They're far more reliable. Our election system is far more secure than was the case when I started uh, back in 1984. And you know the, the 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 thing is that we have built in, or the legislature has built in over the years, a, a lot of features that allow individual voters to be able to monitor the, the, the accuracy and the security of our system. The thing is, too few voters take advantage of this. For example, uh, you know, if you're concerned about whether people are, uh, uh, are not qualified to vote in the polling place, become, a, become an election judge and serve in one of our polling places or serve on one of our absentee ballot boards. If you have any question about the accuracy of our voting equipment, Go to one of our public accuracy tests, which, as the, the, the title implies, they're open to the public. Uh, go to our post-election audits. And, uh, you know, I can, I can claim credit. I was the audit, the, uh, the, uh, the author of our post-election audit law. And it's designed to let the public in to see what's going on. So uh, I can just say definitively, uh, elections are far more accurate, uh, far more reliable today. And uh, and our voters have ample opportunity to uh, to see that for themselves. Joe Mansky's been my guest here on Sunday Take. He's the retired elections director in Ramsey County. Joe, thanks for joining me, and I'm sure we'll talk throughout this year because your experience uh, and watching this stuff is unprecedented in Minnesota. Great, thanks. Good to be with you. Next up on Sunday Take, Congressman Tom Emmer on the passing of. Congressman Jim Hagedorn, and what it means for that seat in Minnesota. I'm Blois Olson on Sundays at nine. It's Sunday Take on Newstalk 830 WCCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app, the biggest sports radio stations in the country, providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives, streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The final conversation this Sunday is with Representative Tom Emmer and, uh, on Sunday Take. And uh, Congressman Emmer joins me now after news on Friday that Representative Jim Hagedorn had passed away. First and foremost, uh, Representative Emmer, uh, my condolences to you. I know Jim was a friend. Um, what listeners don't see and, you know, partisans don't feel and know is that you know, I may write and we may disagree or those kinds of things, but behind the scenes, we all have a relationship and a respect. Uh, and Jim had that with me. I know you uh, 
we're close to him. Uh, just any initial reflections and thoughts on who Jim Hagedorn was as a person and a member of Congress? Well, I told you uh, not to make me cry. You know, I got a reputation. Uh, well, take your time. Yeah. So, Jim, here's here's the deal. I, Jim Hagedorn wanted one thing during his life. He wanted to serve in Congress. I mean, I'll never forget him telling me. Actually, it was his dad after he got sworn in because, you know, I've known Jim for a decade. I helped him when he started running, helped him repeatedly, <laughs> you know, had, had fun uh, teasing him. Because uh, if we can't make fun of ourselves and each other, I, which I think this world has gotten way too sensitive, uh, we, we're not uh, getting the most out of life. I, and uh, he wanted one thing, man. He wanted to be in Congress. He wanted to serve. Yeah. And remember when he, he uh, moved into his new office right after he got sworn in, you know, his dad, Tom, was there. And uh, first time I'd ever met Tom Hagedorn uh, in person, the uh, former representative. And he just told me how proud he was of his son, because this is what he always wanted to do. And uh, Jim, he uh, he gets sworn in. And when he was telling me about uh, the cancer diagnosis for the first time, I mean, that's what he said. He said, this is what I wanted to do. And now I... I have this other thing. And he never wanted to tell anybody, Blois. I, I don't know if you knew this, but he actually was diagnosed months before he ever disclosed to anyone that he had cancer. Yeah. And uh, he, look, I, uh, I did this journey with um, my younger sister years ago, which tough. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Hard. But he, uh, I told him, you got to share this, man. You got to talk to other people. You got to let people, uh, you got to let them in on it. Your your life is important. Other people, you can be an inspiration with the, with the way you handle this stuff. And Blois, I, I think that's why I'm, it's difficult for me today because he did it. He did yeah. it. He, he fought it. He beat it into remission. Uh, he was an amazing story and he served the entire time. Yep. As a as a colleague that I served with in the state legislature said to me, you know why it was easy for me to go and help Jim Hagedorn when he was campaigning? Because he was doing it for all the right reasons. He was doing it for the people that he was seeking to serve, not for himself. And it just uh we we lost a great representative. We lost a good friend, Blois. And I, I know regardless of what people's politics are, Jim had an opinion, right? Yeah. And he would tell you, but he was honest with you about where he was at. And the thing that my wife said to me the other day, which is so accurate, is Jim was genuinely a nice person. Yes. And I, I think that's that's what I'll, I'll always uh, remember. And he just, we need more of those. Well, I think, I think you raise a really important point that in 2022, in this polarized environment, when we tweet and we talk and we some people yell and scream um jim was he had a human ability to connect with people to i remember going down to the district to record a podcast and you know we had talked for years and he was accessible 
whether you were with him or not, he was accessible to us, to me, to, to have conversations. Um, and that's not always the case, but it's an expectation in Minnesota that your member of Congress is accessible. And I think he, he, he took that on and, and therefore you got to see the human side. And I remember Tom, and I think you, you, this is kind of the stuff you're referring to. Like I knew he had been diagnosed. I knew it took a while for him to acknowledge it publicly. And part of that was him not wanting it to be a distraction from him serving. He didn't want people to think either he wasn't able to serve or that this would distract him from his dream job and his, and I would say this, I don't know that I've met in 30 years of watching and meeting somebody that in their gut, deep, deep in their gut, in their heart, wanted to do this for his beliefs and what he thought about the people of the first district uh, more than anybody else. I mean, you run across a lot of candidates. Lord knows I've dealt with plenty over the years, but those who have it in their gut are those who, you know, they fight, they work 20 hours a day. They do that. And he did that with cancer and he didn't want anybody to talk about cancer because he was like, no, 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 I'm supposed to be doing the people's work. Um, and, and that's where I think there was, he was different than a lot of candidates you see these days. You, you hit it so perfect. It was the fact that he didn't want anyone to uh, think for a second that he was going to use his personal situation, the challenge that he was, uh, uh, you know, fairly unfairly dealt, that he was going to let anyone think he was going to use that as an excuse for not doing the job they hired him to do. And he did it every day. And I mean, he got on that plane. He went back and forth. A lot of people don't realize that during the pandemic, Jim was showing up. Yeah. Jim was there. And I, I said to him one day, you know, Jim, this cancer stuff, uh, you know, it's a comorbidity that if you uh, get COVID, he goes, hey, look, I'm on this treatment where they literally are juicing up my own immune system. I'm probably the safest guy on this plane. Right. Yeah. And uh it just, I don't think people realize the uh, the health challenges that he dealt with because he never let you know. Right. I mean, like people won't know that over Thanksgiving weekend or the holiday uh, last fall, Jim uh, had some type of uh, major surgery totally unrelated to uh, cancer. That was like a four or five hour process that uh, some type of uh, uh, valve issue that had to do with his uh, aorta. Yeah. I, I mean, you never knew about it. He never talked about it. He just uh, would be upbeat. Yep. Looking forward to uh, getting back to work. And uh, by the way, here's one. You, you want to know how uh, how dedicated this guy was. I was reminded by one of my colleagues uh, here in Minnesota this morning uh, that he had a client that had a Zoom meeting with Jim within the last couple of months. Jim, Jim did the Zoom meeting from his hospital bed. Yeah. Well, I know, I know that we, we corresponded over the last few months, a, a couple times and, 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 you know, he would acknowledge that he was in the hospital, um, but he was responsive. Uh, and there's there, my guest is Tom Emmer. We're talking uh, about Friday's passing of representative Jim Hagedorn, um, Tom, who he was as a representative, but, you know, we all do take these things seriously and we, we maybe don't have as much humor. He, he had a pretty dry sense of humor. And sometimes 
it took him a while to be self-aware about it. But once he was, he, he did make fun of himself. Any, give me a good story either in a delegation meeting or something that you want him to be remembered for because he, you know, maybe he said something and then he realized, well, maybe I meant it a little different. No, we were laughing this morning. I, I, one of his very close personal friends uh, who Jim, uh, you know, grew up with uh, down in Blue Earth, that they would spend time in the garage, right? When uh, Jim would be home and uh, this guy helped him with campaigns and stuff. Uh, we were laughing about some of the things that we forget, right? Uh, like uh, <laughs> like the Washington Examiner writing in the 2018 cycle that uh, Jim was the worst midterm congressional candidate in America. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jim, he said, Jim would be laughing about it. Yeah, you know, right. he'd, he'd come over to the garage and it'd be like, yep, the worst uh, congressional candidate, midterm candidate in America has just arrived. <laughs> And and then he would look at the results in the election and be like, I guess I was the worst candidate because actually, actually, he would not. So this is a thing that we can't leave. Blois, two things. One, I got to go back because I'm remembering the Fourth of July holiday last summer where he had been in the hospital and that son of a gun got out of the hospital on a Sunday night, walked in two parades. I think it was on Monday. And I think he ended up back in the hospital later that uh, that week. You and I talked that week. Because yes. I was aware of this and I'm like, he was in the hospital. He's in a parade, you know? So no, I, but, I, but he would look at his numbers. This is what I was doing, Blois. And you yeah. probably know this because you're a, uh, you're one of these political nerds that you study all these different races and these people and you're into the communication stuff. I imagine you were doing that when you were in grade school, right? The way you, uh, absorbed much. Jim Hagedorn, which is probably why the two of you had this kind of connection, this is Jim Hagedorn. He would study his precincts. He would look oh, at the yeah. history. He would, I mean, it's just wild. So people who want to think, when I tell that story about that uh, that Washington Examiner thing, that he was less, no, no. This no. guy studied. This guy understood his district. This guy worked it. And you just think about it. He ran twice. It took him a third time to get elected. Yep. And it just it is a tragedy that we've lost him so early at age 59. Tom, it, it, it's too early, but obviously social media drives a lot of stuff. How do you look at kind of when there's an open seat like this and it's close to home? What you know, there might be a dozen candidates in this race. Does does your role at the NRCC kick in? After the primary, when does it kick in and what do you what what kind of process do you guys go through looking at a candidate? Well, uh, frankly, uh, at this point, as I was telling you before we started today, it's hard for me to even go there. I mean, I know yeah. that's my job, but it's it's all about Jim. I, I, I just I I'm so sad that I didn't get to talk to him more uh, in the last couple of weeks because I just feel like he needed more of us to tell him that his life mattered, tell him that he he made a huge difference. But he's gone. I, we uh, we're going to celebrate him uh, over the next few weeks. I, when I get back to Washington, we're in session uh, a week from Monday. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people, and I can guarantee you, there's going to be a lot of tears because he was very well liked and. Uh, and he just, no matter what his challenges were, Blois, yeah. he was always there for somebody else. Oh, and yeah. 
And he never, he, I mean, the poor guy would come back and the, the suits would be hanging off of him because he lost a bunch of weight with chemo. Yep. And, uh, and he would not say a word about it. He'd want to talk about the Vikings. He'd want to talk about whatever it was or the policy that uh, he was interested in working on. Uh, we're going to celebrate that. In the meantime, we don't, you know, I've, I've told yeah. you before at the National Republican Congressional Committee, uh, we don't get involved in primaries. I believe that people, people from the districts that, uh, you know, like Jim, where the people he served, they selected Jim. Yep. They selected him more than once. He was their voice and uh, he represented everybody. Uh, no, I was his, were his views a total alignment with everyone in the, uh, in the district? Of course not, but he no. did represent everyone, Republican, Democrat, independent, other. Uh, and this time uh, when uh, the governor does whatever the governor is going to do under the law, yep. uh, you'll have, uh, you'll have people that uh, I think out of respect for Jim, uh, they're going to try to carry on what Jim, uh, you know, represented. And I think we're going to have all kinds of people, uh, people who have uh, grown up in that district, represented that district. Uh, and God bless them. The, the people of that district will make that decision. We won't get involved. It's good to know. And I will, uh, I'll leave you with this anecdote that I got by a text today with one of his close advisors who was not able to talk to him in the last couple of weeks, but I, I responded that, you know, loyalty and friendship, you and I have had it. I have it with Representative McCollum, Representative Phillips. I, you know, I just try to have a relationship with you guys once you get elected so that I can understand. But Representative Phillips told a story on the air uh, Friday about how he was not going to go to the White House Christmas party uh, with President Trump. Uh, but uh, Hagedorn reached out and said, I'd like to bring my nephew, but the only way my nephew can go is if they go with a member. And Dean Phillips said, well, I'll go to the white house Christmas party. If it means going with your nephew, those are the stories we don't hear enough about. Those are the stories of the relationships that you and the other members of the delegation have as people, as humans, they're the way we need to be and bring more humanity to this crazy political world that I cover too often and too much. But the last piece that I'll say is that, you know, Jim worked really hard, but he fought so hard the last couple of years. That the biggest thing he deserves is the peace and knowing that he's got calm. And that's ultimately what he deserved after these last couple of years. Tom Emmert, thanks for joining me on this somber note. Thank you, Blois. And thanks for remembering Jim. When it's Sunday, it's Sunday Take at 9 on WCCO. We'll talk to you next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 